This is the Sexual Alchemy Podcast for men who want to discover and embrace profound confidence, intimacy, pleasure, and connection. I'm Rebecca Lowry, and I invite you to explore who you really are as a confident, sexual, and sensual man. Whether you're dealing with specific sexual issues, or you just know there's more to it than you've experienced so far, this is a safe space for you to learn, grow, and expand your erotic potential and possibilities. Hello, and welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. Today, I have the most amazing guest. She is multidimensional, multi-realmic, just incredible, and I can't wait for you to listen to our chat. Her name is Melina Lee Williams-Huss, and I'm going to read you a little bit of her bio, but I'm going to um, tell you a little bit more about her as well. So Melina is a New York City born and raised writer, performer, actress, BDSM educator, storyteller, sobriety fiend, and award-winning executive pervert. She is owned and colored by renowned contemporary composer Georg Friedrich Haas since December uh, 2013, and she's been his wife since September 2015. She serves as his beloved slave, submissive, wife, servant, and muse. In February 2016, they had a ground breaking piece of work about the relationship featured in the New York Times. They have had a film made about them called The Artist and the Pervert. Most recently, they have um, a film coming out about a piece of work that she's written, and we'll talk about that in the podcast, called Hyena. She wrote the words. It's about her story and her journey to sobriety, and her husband and owner wrote the music for it. It's extraordinary. She's performed it as a spoken word piece, and then it became a film. I met Melina. I knew of Melina for a long time before I met her, but I met her in London at an urban tantra professional training program run by the gorgeous Barbara Corellis. And by the time I had met Melina, she had written loads of books. She has written some on her own and co-written and contributed essays to many, many, many books. She has been active in the BDSM and leather community uh, in America since 1996, presenting classes since 1998. Um, she speaks and teaches around the world um, and a variety of sexuality and kink and BDSM things. <laughs> she has won awards. She She's done everything. She's just awesome. And I think you're really going to enjoy our chat. As I say, when we get to chatting, the thing that really lights me up about Melina is that she brings all of who she is to everything she does. It's quite remarkable. And I think that will come across in our chat. Okay. Have a listen. Melina Lee Williams-Hass, welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. I am so, so excited to chat with you today. I'm so pleased to be here. First of all, that you have a podcast. How amazing and sexy is that? 
It's very sexy, actually. And, um, excuse me, from one to the other, you also have a podcast. I know. It's pretty cool. Mine is still sort of in its, in its fetal infancy. So get in <laughs> on the ground floor. It's been a long time coming. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, what's interesting is that it was me getting in my way for years. When podcasts first became a thing, everyone I met was like, well, you should have a podcast. You have a great voice. You have interesting things to say. And I was like, oh, well, what would it even be about? I don't, I I mean, I could talk about kink and BDSM because I know a lot about that, but I also probably would want to talk about current events because those sorts of things fascinate me. But if I say it's a kink podcast and then I want to talk about anti-racism, are people going to be like, well, that's not what I signed up for, you know? So, so, uh, of course, all this boiled down to me sort of stalling for a decade until I finally got to the point where, uh, it's interesting. I was working with a production team and they kept, you know, doing all the slick and, and fancy stuff and, you know, trying to get my target audience and trying to get me to say all these things that would pinpoint who my audience was and what my podcast was. And I finally sort of shook myself loose of all of that for many reasons, but because the main reason is I finally figured out, I just want it to be about everything. And then I, I crowdsourced a title and a friend of mine came up with all that and Mo, which is my nickname. And I was like, Oh my God, that's it. Because that's the whole point of what I want to talk about. I want to talk about all the things. And me, I want to talk about myself and my life and my experience because it's fucking amazing and ridiculous and scary and unbelievable in some parts. And I wanted to bring all of that out. And so, yeah, so then I finally realized, you know what? Screw it. I don't care what the demographic metric things in the charts say. I know what I want to do. And so I just ran out of fucks. As you know, I will often declare a fuckrupsy and just decide, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. I have none left. <laughs> so I'm going to do what the hell I want. I have a podcast. And now, boof. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put a link to it in the, in the places that Very we put links. Thank you. And it, we were talking before we hit record. And I want to go back to that conversation, but I'll tell everyone where we were. Yes. So I, I had taken some notes about you know, various things that we could discuss. And obviously you were very multidimensional. So the things I wrote down, and then I, I just added another one because you mentioned it was like, obviously. Um, yeah. So kink BDSM, your kink BDSM educator, player, doer. Yeah. Whatever that word is. Doer and beer, liver doer and beer. lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you're in a master-slave relationship, which is something that not everyone in my audience will know about. So that would be good to talk about. Absolutely. Um, you have written and performed operas. Uh, and well, I, yeah, oh. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've written an opera. I have not performed yet in the opera, but I have performed in a uh, spoken word piece. Hyena is actually technically not an opera okay. because not I'm bad. the only performer and I'm, and I'm, and I'm not singing, uh, but I will next year be performing as the non-speaking lead in an opera that Georg is actually composing right now. And whoo, or, or, or terror, terror, so much fear, because it's so outside of my experience as an actor. Um, you know, we're not we're not raised in the theater to be like, and now go do an opera. It's right. sort of you know, there's plenty of non-speaking roles in opera, but it never occurred to me that this was something I would pursue. But then I'm just fortunate enough to have an opera written, you know, for me as <laughs> so the, the non-speaking characters. I know it's been like, of course it is, of course it's me. 
Endgame is also a film, and it's this. Well, it's the second that I know of. Maybe there's other films because also The Artist and the Pervert came out. We have the documentary about myself and my husband called The Artist and the Pervert. And um, we have Hyena was made also. Hyena is my solo show that uh, my husband wrote the music for. And we were fortunate enough to have a producer come to us and want to do a film version of it. And as of now, it's, it's not, it is not released. However, it is currently making the sort of festival circuit and doing amazingly well. It's, it's stunning to me and, and it's surprising and, unsur- and unsurprising because it's a story about, you know, one woman's fight with the demon that happens to be her alcoholism, which is so sadly universal. Addiction mm-hmm. is something that is truly a human problem. And what was amazing to me is that the shame and humiliation I felt in speaking out loud about these incidences, about my alcoholism, about how horrible it was and about how grim and ugly my life was to me, really pulled me closer to strangers. Once I got up on stage and said, hey, here's this horrible thing. I I never forget walking off stage the first time I did an eight minute bit about this and having people say, I'm in recovery. I'm an alcoholic. Having people tell me my husband, my wife, my son, my cousin, my best friend. So there, there, I don't know any adult who does not have someone in their life who has had this struggle. Mm-hmm. And then what was miraculous was that I had a woman come up to me and say, you know, I'm not an addict, but when you started talking about your alcoholism, speaking to you as this, as this creature, as this demon, as this hyena, she said something just clicked for her that that was her depression. That her depression was this creature that sat on her belly at night and told her how horrible she was, you know. And another person said that was the voice of their mother who was horribly abusive. And she just had that track in her head. And the idea of making that track uh, a creature that you can talk to, like taking it outside of your own inside and speaking to it as much as I thought I was having a psychotic break, I spoke to several therapists and they said, oh, no, 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 no. This is a useful technique that you happen to have stumbled into. And I was like, well, what should I do? Should I get some meds for it? I feel like I'm going crazy. And they said, you should keep talking. They said, keep That's- talking to that hyena and figure out what she wants. Wow. And um, that was a process ongoing. We're still discovering each other that that aspect of myself is is still growing and changing along with me because it is me, right? right? Like this is a thing we have to discover about our darkness is that it's not to be evicted. It's to be used as decor in our internal homes. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard to do because we're taught that the parts of us that are unpleasant or ugly and need to be either hidden or eliminated versus embraced and celebrated and loved. And ultimately this was what I came to is that that part of me demanded love and respect and trying to find love and respect for this. I'm sorry. I was like, you tried to kill me. You tried to drink us to death. How are we going to be chill buds? Like how is this going to happen? And so that's, yeah, that was the, that will be the next two iterations of Hyena. So um, it's going to wind up being actually three shows, you know, beginning, middle and end is a triptych. It's about discovering the darkness and then sitting with the darkness. And then what do you do once you have gotten to the core of the, the ugliness or the pain? 
And what I discovered was exactly that. She wanted to be loved. And I was like, I can't do that. And then I figured out how to do it. I did. Oh my God. And it's fascinating to me, all of that, but that you, like you said, they, the psychotherapist, whoever, said that you stumbled into a technique. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not dissimilar from techniques I, I use with people that I know of where, you, you know, you have to call those parts in not get rid of them, you know, call them in, call them closer because they're in pain, because they're, you know, they are either the pain or the strategy for the pain, mm-hmm. you know, and when I, when I was a baby healer, it used to be, no, cut it all out, get rid of it. But that changed very quickly to, no, 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 don't get rid of parts of yourself. Even if they scare you or you think yeah. they're ugly or they're trying to kill you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a reason they are. It's like they, yeah. they want to be loved. Exactly. There's yeah. this, um, there's a, an episode of the original Star Trek, which I know is heresy to many people, but I'm what? sorry. I'm a, I'm a STTOS head all the way where Captain Kirk is in, I think a transporter accident and is split into his dark and light sides. Mm. Right. And what's hilarious side note is that like evil Kirk has like eyeliner, which is the way you're supposed to be able to tell them apart, like that he's extra sexy. I don't know. It's like very, very hilarious. But what was amazing about this episode and very profound is that, um, of course, evil Kirk is, you know, grabbing chicks non-consensually and drinking and running around like being super aggro and crazy. And so they lock him up, you know, they're like, you're too, you know, and then good Kirk is like trying to run the ship and figure out how to get the two halves back together. And at one point there's a crisis and good Kirk is sitting there like, um, I, uh, uh, I can't, um, you know, and evil Kirk is like, kill them all. Like God sort them out. Rawr. You know, and then they have to reintegrate him because as they discover that without evil Kirk, good Kirk is useless. Right. <laughs> right. Like it was, right. it was so, it was so interesting. And to see that and you're just like, and then he's back together and he handles the problem. Right. Uh, whatever right. they did. I can't remember what they did. I think they, they, they reverse phased the, um, the transporter, I believe was the solution. <laughs> and what was so fascinating to me was that as I took a very scientific approach to trying to reintegrate myself, because I just don't do that woo woo shit. <laughs> I was, I was like, <laughs> screw this. I can't, you know, I was like, yes, I know I'm talking to a demon, but I'm going to use science to figure out how to cope with her. Um, So what I did was I did a lot of research into what hyenas were about, their physiology, their social structures, in order to me to give a handle on why my subconscious decided on on that. Mm. And what I found fascinating was that they are an entirely matriarchal culture. Women rule girls all the time. The newest born female hyena pup has higher status than any senior male in the pack, period. So they're born queens, first of all. Second of all, hyenas' genitals all look the same. They all have kind of like a cock and balls uh, that gets erect and gets flaccid. When hyenas want to mate, the female hyena must retract her dick in order to let the male penetrate. So you cannot assault them. Like there's no way that a a male hyena can take a female hyena. It's physiologically impossible. Uh, And the matriarch is in charge of everything and eats first and last everything. But what's also amazing is that they're, despite the fact that they're known for being eaters of, of carrion and rotting meat, which yes, they can eat, 
which is also amazing. Think about it. They can eat rotting flesh. There's not many animals who can. There are, you know, there are many scavengers who do that, but they can also digest bone and hair and hooves. So they are able to use everything that they eat. Right. And when I started thinking about the larger reality of what this meant as a symbolic creature, I was like, this is kind of amazing. They're bizarre and they're they're and they're odd looking and they're their necks are too long. And but they also, you know, are very fastidious and they always wash before they go back to their dens as to not bring uh fetid, rotting juices back into where they live, right? Um these are all things I didn't know. And I was like, they're, they're kind of fucking cool. Their hearts are giant in terms of physically, right? So they're able to run animals to death. They can literally chase, oh uh, they could chase a zebra till the zebra just finally stops running because it's too exhausted. And then the hyenas are like, thank you. We will eviscerate you while you're alive because that's the best way to, to get. Because <laughs> that's when you're tastiest. And so I started trying to think, okay, what about that? What about these traits are, are, are features and aspect that I could take pride in? How can I be proud of this creature? You know, and there was so much to be proud of. And I said, okay. And then I started thinking about the fact that alcoholism is a response to stimuli or to uh, trauma. And I had plenty of those things. <laughs> and Initially, alcohol had been used to mask uh, an anxiety disorder that I did not know I had until I stopped drinking. I was like, oh, I do have social anxiety, completely unaware of it because I used to just have a glass of wine and I was fine. I used to just, you know, uh, have a shot and I was fine. And then it was two shots. And then after a while, you know, so while that part of myself might have been trying to help us feel better, what was also occurring was addiction was growing. and. Mm she's not the one that that aspect is not the one to be in charge of it. You know, hmm. she's the idea person. She's like, I know what we'll do. And then you have to have your rational self say, Hey, hyena, you know what? That's an addictive substance, right. good impulse, but we're going to maybe try something else. Right. And, uh, it was a lot easier for me to have access to that part of myself and try to be, uh, uh what's what I'm looking for more, um, compassionate. Mm. you know, or self, what is compassion for self? Because compassion is, as a root word, feeling, what is, how would you say that for, if it's reflexive compassion? Yeah. There's got to be another word for that. Having compassion for yourself. Empathy? Self? I don't know. Anyway, all those words are for other people. What about for ourselves? What I always turn words? self in front, like self-love, self-confidence. Yeah. We need to have words for that, though. There needs to be like a, like a, this is what self-love is. Boom. So I think slove is not, I don't know if I like that. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> I'm going to add linguist to the list here. <laughs> Create some new language, new words. <laughs> oh, so... Okay, so wait. So we've got kink BDSM. We've got the relationship, which we can talk about if you want to. We've got um, coming up an opera, but previously a performance and two films. Yes. Yeah. Just amazing. Plus you've written like a million books. And then <laughs> I have, a, I, have I, I realized the other day, I was actually, I have so many essays and so many different books mm -hmm. and so many different places that I forget. 
And I, I was looking myself the other day and I was like, oh yeah, I have, I was, I was in the New York times talking about the, the cannibal cop. There was this case where this uh, police officer was uh, going to trial for um, essentially the question was thought crime. He hadn't done anything yet, but he seemed to be plotting to uh, kidnap, assault, kill and eat women. Right. He had a cannibal fantasy thing right. and um, was on a bunch of websites Hilarious side notes. Uh, one of them was a website that was run by a fetish model I knew. <laughs> it was basically like pictures of women dressed up to look like meat on a plate. So, you yeah, know, yeah. how yeah. a turkey might be laid out with like stuffing or or a pig with a, an apple in its mouth. And so there's these sexy the nubile fetish models pretending to be spit roasted and not in the sexy way, in the like right, yeah. actual yeah. honest yeah. spit roast way. I've seen those. But, yeah. But what was interesting, yeah, which is, you know, it, it is its own fantasy. Everyone has their own thing. But then the question was, he has a, you know, a kit in the back of his car with all the stuff you might need to do that. Is that just part of the fantasy? He is mm-hmm. using the computer that he has access to that has access to way more of your information than anyone thinks. And he's stalking women this way. And that's a flagrant violation right there. And so, you know, the sort of question was, where is the line? And the New York Times rather cleverly said, well, let's speak to someone who knows about (laughs) fetishes and isn't going to be held up by the cannibal fetish thing. And uh, so, yeah, we've had this whole conversation. And what was great about that is, the New York Times, which is, you know, the very buttoned down sort of stayed kind of also realizes that sex evolves and that people's opinions shift and that kink and BDSM is far more mainstream than it was 20 years ago. And so when you say uh, dominance and submission or fetishes, people don't sort of scratch their heads in, in confusion anymore. They at least know a basic something about what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And for better and for worse, we have 50 shades of gray to yeah. thank for a substantial slice of that. While it is a grim and ridiculous piece of garbage, what it did was make it so that you could have these conversations without blinking. Yeah. You know, if someone asked me 10 years ago, oh, so what's your relationship with your with your husband? Like, I, I heard you do some kinky stuff. And I said, oh, he is my dominant. They would have sent people to have an intervention. <laughs> And yeah. now they're like, oh, do you have a red room of pain? Like, you know, it's like, like it's, it's, it's silly, but it enables you to say, oh, no, we don't actually live like that. It's really rather boring. <laughs> it's more, it's more fragrance in the background. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mean you aren't daily like chained to the walls and like. <laughs> so tedious. Who would make him his food if, if I were chained to the wall? Thankfully, you know, I just, I didn't select someone who had a chain to the wall fetish. I selected a partner who said to me, make everything awesome. And then that's my job. That's it. (laughs) So are you happy to talk a little bit about all that? Because it, so actually let me come back a minute and I'm going to go forward a minute. Okay. What I'm going to say is we have the whole list of all the things that you are and do and bring and work and everything. And, And what I've written down was, what was really remarkable to me is how you weave all of who you are into into all the things you do. And so, like, there's your relationship with your addiction that is now um, you've done it as a spoken word thing. It's going to be an opera mm-hmm. and it's a film, mm-hmm. you know. And and then there's like your 
relationship to your sexual self, which has a kinky flavor and a slave flavor. And then your marriage is that. And also you educate people on that. And, you know, it's like, so everything is interwoven in ways that I don't see many other people do. So many people compartmentalize. Right. Which is, it's just, for me, I I mean, I I look up to that a lot because- I know that for me, there's a bit of privilege attached to that, but there's also a bit of disprivilege attached to it. As an African-American woman, dealing in anything that has to do with sexuality is fraught because within my own community, there's a lot of very conservative approaches to sex, just period, in general. I will never forget being in high school and, you know, doing our first sexual explorations and my first high school boyfriend and talking to other girls who were black, who, when they, when we would whisper about the stuff we were doing, would look down on me as being a nasty freak because I had oral sex. Oral sex was a taboo. They were like, oh, that is nasty. And I said, okay, so you just send all your nasty pussy eating boyfriends over my way because <laughs> that is the nastiness I can support for hours, in fact. You right. know? And it was fascinating to me how uh, that really, it was like, if you won't do that, I'm not even going to tell you about the fact that we're tying each other up and spanking each other for, for, for kicks. You know, right. I was always very experimental. One of the things I have felt is that shifting gears to be a different person, depending on where I was, was exhausting. Mm. And that was something that I've had to do since I was a child, because the person I was was deeply at odds with my conservative Christian mother and my conservative Christian slash eventually conservative Muslim dad. No one wanted to hear about who I was. I was frequently punished for being who I was. I couldn't swear in the house, you know, when I started having sex, despite the fact that I was practicing safer sex, it became like a situation where I was breaking my mother's heart and she was worried about me and oh my God, and the sin and the, you know, all of these things. And by the time I had autonomy from that, you know, around, I mean, my autonomy started basically when I was 15, um, (laughs) when I just started flagrantly disregarding everything I was told, I was like, no, I'm going to do the things I need to do because that makes more sense to me. I will say quite honestly, I saw no point in dividing up who I was because I wasn't interested in having to hide. And so everyone knew I was a sex weirdo. Everyone knew I was a nerd. Everyone knew I geeked out on, you know, on this or that, whatever it was. And I just found that easier for me, even though it was difficult because people don't actually often want to know all of their friends and the people on, they don't want that level of detail because it's stressful or because it goes against their beliefs or, and this is the most common, you're doing something they really want to do when they lack the guts. Or, I was going to say it triggers them, right? Yes. Triggers something in, yeah. yeah. And so that has always been very true. And what is amazing to me is the more I have broken down those barriers between my life as lived internally and the life I live in front of other people, the closer I get to people Mm. and the more amazing it is. I had a job when I was in my twenties working for first interstate bank, answering phones, you know, like doing customer service and everyone knew I was an actor. So that was cool. And, you know, I would go on auditions and they'd be like, Oh, how'd it go? I'm like, yeah, no. And then as I started uh, moving up within that company, I started discovering BDSM at the same time. And so I'd have a coworker, who I'd see on Monday morning and she'd be like, how was your weekend? And I'd be like, um, 
this is probably not appropriate, but I went to a party and I got spanked and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would sit there with their jaw open and then 99 times out of a hundred lean forward and say, Hey, tell me about that. What was yeah, that like? Was it fun? <laughs> like, and then, you know, a couple times you get people who were like, Oh, yeah, I've done that too. And then they'd want to talk about it. And so is it appropriate to speak to your colleagues at work about your sex life? We would like to say no, because in America, uh, you know, and in most Western countries, there's this idea that there's your work life and your private life and never the twain shall meet, lest everything burn in and fall into the ocean. But I was like, you know, fuck it, because I was never attached to any of these jobs as my career. If I lost one customer service job, guess what? I'll get another one. Mm -hmm. And so I rolled those dice repeatedly. Occasionally it didn't work out so well for me, but overall my life was, was improved to the point where, uh, when I was probably, I think maybe eight years or so into my career at Wells Fargo, I was also doing a solo show called 69 stories, one pervert's tale. And it was all me talking about like, cause I, I was tired of people asking me, how did you get into cake? What happened? And so I'm like, ah, I'm just going to do a solo show. You can come and watch it and hear all the gory details and leave me alone. <laughs> and I didn't push it at work because the poster was me with like my titties hanging out. And, you know, tied up in rope with this little sassy wig looking all cute. However, it was reviewed in the San Francisco Chronicle. And so one Wednesday morning, I came into work and my coworker slams down the Tuesday, the Wednesday paper. And is like, you're in the arts section, bitch. And I'm like, oh, well, yes. The thing is, like I said, I cannot proselytize at work about this. However, did half of my division show up to my show that Friday? They sure did. They sure did. And several of them were like, oh, yeah, when you talked about going to that sex club, the power exchange, my husband and I went there one time and it was super great, blah, blah. And this was a girl I would never have thought would put even one of her little manicured toes into a sex club, mm. you know, but she said she and her husband had the hottest sex they had ever had after going there. They didn't even play. They yeah. just spent the evening observing and then went home and did each other's brains out for the next like five hours, you know? Amazing. And, Amazing. and here's the thing. I then had a conversation with her. She then had a conversation with another woman and she and her husband went that next weekend. Mm. You know, so by just being who I was, I was able to have someone feel more comfortable in their own life and have another person discover a a fact, a facet of themselves that they might not have experienced. And this is the other thing. One of my purposes in life, in this life, is to live as loudly as possible so that the reverberations bounce off of other people and they see themselves there and they see where they can look at me and say, you know what, maybe I don't need to go all over the world and talk about having sex. But if she can do that, then maybe I can just talk to this one person and tell them my fantasy. And it really brings people in. And the, the wonder about my being open is that I have seen over and over again, how the, um, the dominoes fall one into the other and and make things happen. If I wasn't so open about talking about my alcoholism for national public radio, then my husband wouldn't have heard that story six, seven years later, been so moved by it that he said, I need to write music for it. 
and have that impulse of his being so moved roll forward into, because he has the power to make these things happen. As a performer, it's far more difficult for me to make a show happen. As right. a, as you know, one of the top living contemporary composers in the world, basically he just has to wait for the right people to come along and say, we would like to do a piece. And for him to say, this is the piece I want to do. Right. And so that openness I have just seen over and over again has informed me not only in making my life uh, more livable and, and more juicy and lush, it also assists me in my mission, which is to reach other people and make sure that they are also getting the juice and lushness as much as possible. Mm. My God, you know, you, my brain is going off a thousand tangents. I, I want to say, before I forget any of some of them, one is that I see over and over in the comments on many of your posts, how you save people's lives. You know, whether that's like you say, talking about going to a sex club openly or your alcoholism or, you know, mm. I see people tell you, that you have saved their lives or changed their lives or given them permission. That's a big word that was coming up as well was permission. And in order for you to do that, this is the other thing you, you started this off by saying that you have huge privilege. And I was thinking perhaps, and also in order to live this life, your mission, Mm -hmm. you have to fucking tear yourself open in front of everybody. Yeah, You know, like there's very little that you keep, in the inner circle. I know there's some, everyone's got some inner stuff. We'd like, follow, there's got to be a core like pole to hang all that on, you know, but, <laughs> but more or less you're open about everything all the time. And there's not compartmentalizing. No. It's, you know, no. pointing out to me that I have, I've been talking recently. I did a podcast recently about, I had sterilized a bit the work that I've been doing, you know, it's like, Oh, well I want to be taken seriously, but I'm working with sexuality. So if I do it like this, maybe I'll be taken seriously. And I I kind of almost divorced myself from mm. the bit of me that really does the work because I fucking love sex and sexuality and sexual yeah. energy. But I was trying to be a bit like, let's listen to what is going on in your system. And that instead of like, like I do want to help people and I do want to help them transform. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the why. I got to the why's. And see, I can tell you, and I've told the world recently, is because the core part of me wants to bask and revel in sexual energy. Mm-hmm. And so my mission that I seem to have been given is to, you know, the, the, the sexual energy that comes through shame and guilt and all of that doesn't taste so nice. Yes. So if I can clear the shame and the guilt and all of that and get the pristine, untouched, delicious sexual energy from source that comes through humans, Mm-hmm. Oh my God, like, you know, my loins are going now. I'm just talking about it. But I'm <laughs> afraid to say that out loud. Yes. Until very recently. And seeing you talk about alcoholism and I'm having a down day and now I'm doing a film and, you know, my husband <laughs> owns me. And like, there's so many facets to who you yeah. are and you're so open with them. And so th- maybe there's a privilege, but there's there's also a, whatever that is, like a... It's a risk. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, vulnerability is not necessarily encouraged in American society. It is stomped on. We're in an especially cruel moon phase in America, I feel. And certainly not in British society either. Well, at all. (laughs) (laughs) And it's to me, the, I think the privilege that I feel is that on balance, I have been able to, um, to keep my integrity and be open. Mm-hmm. 
And I will tell you, in fact, one of the things I noticed about myself is when something scares me, if I have an impulse like, oh, I should say, I should talk about my alcoholism. When I feel like a gate rolling down and an absolute, like a shouted no from my guts, like that is my signal to absolutely bloody well fucking yes, go ahead. Like that's the shit that needs to come out. And that thing. Yes. You know, so every single time I'm, 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 I'm censoring myself or I'm concerned about being too blank, fill in the blank, whatever that too is every single time that happens. And I feel that, that clutching in my chest and that my stomach rolling over, those are signs to me to push forward. And it again, seems counterintuitive, doesn't it seems like those physical signals would be, you know, yes, protect, protect, save, but not for me. And so the more dangerous, the more terrifying something is, <laughs> the more I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess, I guess you better, you better go and talk about it. Hmm. And this is the freedom that I have felt. And even talking about my alcoholism, there was still, like you said, there were still pieces that I was like, well, I can't, you know, and I just, I, I just kept digging until I got to them. I was like, look, alcoholism is grim and ugly and people need to understand that. And it's a human being under that filth. Right. And when I was living in what looked like a hoarder house, when I was, um, and no one was allowed in, I did not allow people into that part of the house. You know, I could keep the public areas clean. My roommates over there were fine. But then in my room, it just eventually was literally knee deep in, in, in trash and, and, and old clothes. And just, it was a nightmare. Um, and the, the, the drinking I was doing was so paralyzing that I would probably like 60, 75% of the time be incontinent and wake up in a pissy bed. Mm. And this was, these, these were things that I knew I would never, ever say in public. There was no way on a podcast in front of 500 people on film so that it's captured forever. Mm. And what I said to myself was, if you don't, say these things, then you are losing an opportunity because in my coherent, sober, pretty voice to say, I used to pee in the bed at night. Oh gosh. People thinking of, of, of alcoholics as miserable fuck-ups who are beyond redemption have to take a second and say, wait, 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 how can she say this? How can this person who is so far from that? And I'm like, yes, because that's who I was. There's an aspect of that's still within me today, which is why I don't drink now. I don't want to be her anymore. But you love her instead of yes. pushing her away. Exactly. I understand yeah. that this was an aspect of my life and it is an aspect of myself. And in order for it to sleep, it needs to be loved. Otherwise, it'll come roaring back. That's the reality. And if I don't share that, then I can dance around it all I want. But how much more impactful and visceral is it for people to hear the truth unvarnished? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm rethinking a few things myself now. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm. I think, well, you know, like the thing that I, I guess that at the bottom of everything that I do is with intimacy is wanting, you know, the truth of who I am to meet the truth of who someone else is. Mm -hmm. And so any strategy we have in the way or any pretend we have in the way is a barrier to that deeper intimacy, isn't it? And so, but standing in your full truth, I would say Todd, my partner is the one who's seen all of it. 
there's nothing he hasn't seen, you yeah. know, um, that I'm aware of, like any, any parts that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> and so our intimacy is amazing. And I don't even just mean sexual. I just mean like, I know him and he knows me to the best of our ability in that moment because there's nothing hidden. But I think in terms of how you live your life publicly in a way, well, not in a way you pretty much do. Yeah. I feel that in order for me, I'm taking a moment for a psychotherapy moment here. In order for me to (laughs) fully serve my mission, I have to live more truthfully out loud. Yes. Which is what you said you do. Yes. And it's, it's not for everyone. And this is what I tell people all the time. I'm like, look, you know, you, you are facing, you are, you're setting yourself up for a great deal of criticism. Uh, you know, I, within the, uh, lifestyle of kink and leather and BDSM, all of these lifestyles have social networks and, and community quote unquote, and it's communities are made of people and people are, can be just terrible. And so a great deal of what you're doing is setting yourself up for vulnerability and haterism and criticism and ostracization. And I realized about a decade ago when I was in the midst of one of these horrible situations where people were tearing down who I was because I was, I dared to talk about race and kink and BDSM and being an African-American person in this community, the problems of not just racism, but race as it applies to kink play and all these things. And just people coming for me left and right. And I was having like a really bad month where things were just really ugly and unpleasant. And, and, and I was doubting that I had made the right choices and doubting whether or not I was a good person. And I finally just said, okay, why are people angry at me? And I'm angry. They're angry at me because I said this, because I do that, because whatever else. And then I thought to myself, am I ashamed of any of these things, would I take them back? I was like, no, 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 hell no. And then I realized, not that I had transcended criticism, but I said, if you are criticizing me for something I have said or done that I'm proud of, suck it. (laughs) It lifted. I really genuinely, that pain that I felt of rejection or, 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 or not being enough or being too much went away. Because I said, you are upset with me because of things that make me proud. I'm proud that I thought about these things and I'm talking about them. I'm proud that I am discussing race and kink. I'm delighted that I am revealing details of a sexual assault. I know it's upsetting to you. But the fact that I stood on stage in front of 500 people and talked about being sexually assaulted, I know it's upsetting. But the reality is it needed to be said. And if you are criticizing me for things that I were laid on my heart to share, I don't give a fuck. I genuinely give the fuck Rupsy, check my balance, got none. And that shifted my whole approach to haters. Right. I was like, go right ahead. As the, as the great comedian Cat Williams said, if there's haters out there, let those motherfuckers do their job. That's what they're there to do. They're there to motivate you to be better. You know, right. you let the haters do their job. <laughs> and to help you stay center, right? Yes, yes. You know, it's like you got something to push on. Like, nope, my exactly. center's good. Nope. My center's good, babe. Yeah. And I was I able to like take that. that and say, you know what? No. And so now everyone cannot say that because if people are hating on you because, for example, you're a thief, we can agree that stealing is generally bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, not allowed, uh, not allowed. Uh, 
so that's so that's one thing. But if if the hate that you're getting is because you took a controversial position on uh, on violence and sexual assault in the leather community, great, great, go right ahead. Feel free to hate on me. I'm right. not even saying it. So in the party line, basically. No, no, and I don't give a fuck. And oh, this is one of the gracious joys of middle age. Is that <laughs> it is, isn't it? it? Oh my God, it's so good. And what's so amazing is that I had older women tell me this when I was younger. And I was like, I can't wait because I try to let it go and I can't. And I'm like, rah, 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 chewing on it like a dog with a bone. And now I'm like, oh my God, they were right. They were right. They were <laughs> yeah. right. I genuinely don't care what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? And, and which gives even more permission to live out loud and more truthfully, yes. which is setting an example for everyone mm-hmm. to do the same. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. I love it. I feel so fired up and also a little, <laughs> a little scared, but also fired up. <laughs> but it's a good, good kind of though. Scared. It is a good kind of scared because the reality is that the work that you are doing is for people who really need that work. And it's for hilariously, a hilariously neglected segment of the population when it comes to sexual education. And I have a great deal of respect for the thought and heart that you put into your work. And it's so, it's careful in a way that's not precious. Does that make sense? You're Mm -hmm. very careful with what you do, but not so precious that it becomes this sort of aggravating, cloying kind of like soft focus girls, white, white girls doing yoga on the beach kind of thing, which makes me kind of, you know, no, no. yeah. Yeah. I'm not that. I do think that, you know, in lockdown, obviously I wasn't seeing clients in person. So I was only working mm-hmm. on zoom, which is great. Um, but I like working on zoom when I'm also having in-person clients, otherwise right. it's imbalance. And I was also at the time doing this whole rebrand and a new website and all of that. And so I was very in my head. Mm. And I think, and I was also in a big spiritual thing at the time because the universe said so, and I kind of was in it. And I think I'm I'm not like the, the white yoga girl on the beach type, but I think I got, I think, well, like I said before, there was a bit of a divorce. Like my sexuality was still there, but it was like I was trying to clean up my work so I could be taken mm. seriously and be seen mm-hmm. as an authority or whatever. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. But I work with sex and sexuality. It's like, <laughs> like, hang on, wait a minute. You know? And so I think I did get a little imbalance with the woo and the airy fairy and the, and the spiritual. It's all very real and true. It wasn't true. wasn't not true, um, but it, it didn't have the balance and that's um, come back and still coming back. And I have a feeling both need to evolve more, I feel like, well, the picture I get in my mind when I say that, it's like there's more layers to come off. Yeah. Publicly. Yeah. I'm very much a lot about pendulum, like the movement, that sort of perpetual motion machine thing. Mm-hmm. And I, it sounds like for you, you had to swing in that direction in order to swing back in the other direction. And at some point, you know, that energy is still. Right. And that's when you get to the core. Yeah. You know, but you absolutely have to swing in those directions in order to get to that point. And, yes. it, and then you how quickly grow, you right? figured it out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it was driving me a little funny in the head, you know, like I was <laughs> at one point thinking, oh, wait, may, maybe sexuality is not my work anymore. Mm. 
you know, like maybe I'm supposed to go in this direction. And that, that's happened. To, that's happened a few times over the years. I've done this work. Really? In fact, you'll do this, but from your version of it. Yeah. Being a woman talking about sexuality publicly. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even have all the, you're black, you talk about kink, you um, are in an MS relationship. That's master slave for anyone who doesn't know. Like I'm not even on, on that, you know, mine's kind of like, I mean, I, I work with people, different um, men of different colors, but they're very heterosexual, cisgendered. You know? <laughs> so kink comes into it. You know, kink comes into it from sure. time to time, but that's not even the main focus. So even my version of it, my, you know, kind of vanilla version of it still, you know, there's a lot of people who think they're entitled to parts of you that yeah, they might have access to if it was in an appropriate session with boundaries and it was part of their journey and all of that, but not mm-hmm. sitting in a networking meeting or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's so interesting because what to me I find very problematic about the idea that, you know, cisgender heterosexual men are, you know, the center of the universe. And so why are we bothering to cater to them with their sexuality? I'm like, do you, do, do you think that maybe the problem with them is because they're kind of a mess and, and need some help? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like when you see behaviors like that, when you see rampant hatred, when you see racism, when you see bigotry, all these things, these are not happy, right. centered healthy people doing this. You know, I had this conversation with my husband slash owner who I refer to as a spouse meister, because that's a very efficient way of combining those, those different aspects. We'll tell you, we just had a discussion the other day about how miserable bigots are. Right. You know, he looked at generations of his family, the three generations with whom he had a familiarity. No one was happy. No one was doing well. Like they, and PS Nazis. Right. Right. Like in a minute, we should say something about him because people are going, who is she talking about? But <laughs> show notes. But, uh, <laughs> right. We landed on the podcast. Um, but the, the thing that's come to my mind, the term is that there was some vampire show where the vampires would talk about they could switch their humanity on or off. Yeah. And so if their humanity was on, they could be humans and care about people and love them and drink, you know, mouse blood or something but if their humanity was switched <laughs> off they would go on a murderous rampage drinking everybody in the village kind of thing yeah yeah yeah. and i kind of feel like you know n- not to make excuses but like the the racist bigot all the stuff they are s- divorced from their humanity yeah it's not a matter of an excuse this is the thing people like to think that if you explain something it's an excuse no, and i, I say no it means it gives you information so you know how to fight the monster Right. If the monster is well-informed and intelligent and is aware of what's going on and is racist, that's a very different monster than someone who's never met someone of a different culture, never met, doesn't have any friends of that race, who's ignorant and has never seen the light. Because the latter person is is someone you can approach and shift. And I know quite a few of those people in that category. I am married to one. For you know. sure. Um, and the people in the other category, I don't fuck with. Right. You right. Know? They're not your remit. <laughs> no. You know, I, someone who is ignorant, I will speak to for as long as I can stand it. Someone who is uh, self-aware and educated and hateful, I'm done. 
right. which is part of the reason why I get so nuts when people are like, reach across the aisle. I'm like, I'm not going to reach across the aisle. There's a bear trap over there. They right. want me dead. I'm right. not going to fuck with them. However, there are people over here who are just sort of like, rah, rah, these, uh, these next. I heard that. Or I yes, exactly. And I can say, actually, you know, let us have a conversation about this. And I have seen the shift occur. With my eyes, which is part of the reason, and it makes me so tired. Everyone, like once a year, some white person will white or write to me and say, "I'm not trying to get a cookie, but you said this thing six months ago, and at first I was really defensive and mad, and like last month, I, like it came up again, and I realized, oh wait, Mo said this thing, and so just thanks for saying a thing, and I'm like, oh damn it, I hate it when people learn. <laughs> anger shoot exactly i'm like oh now i have to keep saying the thing because it's actually making a difference someone's listening (laughs) yeah Yeah. but isn't that also awesome i mean it's amazing even if it's one person at a time that person is going to have impact in their life absolutely when they see something they're going to go well wait a minute have you thought about it like this because mo said that Mm -hmm. and educate on Yes. Yeah. It's huge. And I think it gives people who maybe don't have, I have a decent sized platform and there are people who don't have, you know, a podcast and, you know, 4,000 followers on, on Twitter or whatever. But I'm like, look, if you have half as many and you reach half as many people as I do, you're still changing a couple of minds a year. Yeah. Listen, even if you just change your husband's or your, you know, your teacher or like one person and you have the impact on them, humanity moves mm-hmm. forward a little bit. You know? Absolutely. And I think that, 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 you know, you got to go back to the each one, teach one, right. you know, that's the old, old African proverb. And that's how it was done. You learn a thing, you tell someone else and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. There was a commercial like that for like Clairol hair products or something. We tried suave and then I told two friends and then they yes. told two friends yes, and so on and so on. You remember that? I do. And it would get all trippy with mirrors. Yes, and yes. Yes. Oh, the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> they had to be really old because if I remember it from America, it's going to be at least yeah. 35 years old. Yes. Yeah. This was a commercial from the seventies or maybe early eighties, like at the latest. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. I am old. I'm an old lady. It's fine. We are still look cute. I still look cute. (laughs) And we're just getting started. I know. That's the best part. Isn't it? Yes. Like I feel now, I mean, like now, now at this part of my life, but now like even in this moment, talking with you, Mm -hmm. emboldened, you know, to, to live more out loud. Like there were all the years of, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. What if someone sees? What if someone, you know, knows that oh, thing God. about me? And like you say, the estrogen's like all gone, so I don't care anymore. And <laughs> you know, and, then, and then my time is my own. And I've got all these creative ideas. Like you've just launched a podcast. Yes. You know, like you've got a film coming out. No, the film's out. It, it's the opera I was thinking. The opera the, coming the, out. The, the documentary's out. Opera's next year. The film is done. We're looking for distribution. You know, there's all these things in the pipeline and those things are clearing the way for even more things. Right. And here we are in our fifties, just warming up. Yes. Yes. I got a little tingle all over. Yeah. I just, this is one of the, I I just started doing um, TikTok, which I was like, like the first for the first couple of years, it was like, I don't, mm, this is seriously short attention span theater. And 
I don't understand why I want to see 75 iterations of people dancing to the same song. Oh, I get I that. I find I, it yeah, really, I, was like, I don't use TikTok, but I see that like on Instagram or something. Yeah. And then I started watching it and I was like, oh my God, this is actually <laughs> amazing. The democratization of entertainment is amazing. Right. Random kids from Texas who are now feeling like superstars mm-hmm. because they did a little dance is delightful. Isn't it? You know, there's the, the fact that the some of the biggest TikTokers are little old ladies shaking their ass. Oh my God. To some flagrantly lewd and lascivious music by Megan the Stallion. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Come the fuck on. This is gorgeous. I fucking love it. Yeah. I'm perpetually, I'm just like, oh, yes, yes. More grandmas shaking their ass, more, more gay people being flagrantly gay, more trans people talking about their experiences, because you know what? You can't lock away the humanity of those people. And the millions of kids seeing other trans kids speaking means that's one, two, three, hundreds of thousands of lives will be saved because these people won't feel alone, isolated, and ostracized because at least somewhere in the world, they know that there's someone like them who's doing just fine with their four million followers. Right. See, and from magical. See, you see that in it. And now I do. For me, I like, so I don't have TikTok yet, but I'm going to get it as soon as we hang up, of course. Um, (laughs) But I I get quite um, taken with Instagram Reels, which is similar. Yeah. And for me, it's like people, like, it's a good side of people mostly. I know there's a few people you're just like, no, that's wrong. Scroll past it. But but people are, generous and entertaining and want to share themselves and they want to do the little dance and you know some of the trending audio is sometimes really like there's one of them i don't know the song it's from but it's like put the dick in the mouth and the but no one knows that's the the the, um (laughs) lyrics and so like you say you get these like white yoga moms and grannies and all the rest doing the little dance that goes with it and i'm watching going put the dick in the mouth and you're moving the plates around you know like but i love it And some, then, then you get the the reels where they say, "Oh, that but he's saying that," you know. I, they yeah, get, the I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you're doing on TikTok. Um, I started off. I had a couple back when the the the, the platform first started, and I was like, "Uh, put it down, picked it back up." I'm just I I just started doing little snippets of like he's two minutes of kink stuff. Oh, amazing. And, um, and also reaction. I have like a couple, I don't have very many at this point, but what I found remarkable and I didn't even realize this was that apparently there's a whole kink talk community and I, people knew who I was. So like I signed up and there's hundreds of people like, Oh my God, you're on here. This is so good. And I'm like, okay. (gasps) Hello. So that was kind of amazing. People like, and people like, oh, you got to follow her. I've been following her blog for like 20 years. And I'm like, how could you have done that? I'm like, oh, I guess you could have. Holy shit, I'm old. <laughs> so you and so following. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, that's that's pretty cool. And just as they come to me, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to like, I I I did a little bit about um uh, about negotiation and 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 ways that a dominant can be more compassionate towards their submissive, and another one about what I call the prime directive, which is about the submissive or slave making sure that their health, emotional, you know, physical, spiritual well-being is the primary 
raison d'etre for them being submissive is that you take care of yourself. It's your responsibility to protect the property at all times. And to have people who aren't kinky go, holy shit, yeah. Oh my, yes. Thank you, perverts. Um, And so this is the thing about TikTok is that it's not like it's only kinky people. I'm not shouting into that silo on, on, on a kink website like FetLife. Mm. Or even on Facebook, where everyone already knows that I'm kinky and they expect that sort of content. But on TikTok, the algorithm can just swipe me into someone's life. Right. You know, yeah. or a kinky person can sort of repost. Their non-kinky people could be like, I don't know why they're posting this, but that was an interesting take. I never thought of it like that. <laughs> exactly. And then and then you get another follow. And then the next time, maybe you're deeper in the rabbit hole. But the... uh The open secret is that there's nothing that I'm going to tell anyone about kink that doesn't have a default world application. Right. It's all communication. It's all love. It's all boundaries. And there is no part of the planet where people do not need to work on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, my, my negotiation skills in the dungeon parlayed me into a better salary at work. Because I'd never, it was so hard for me to ask for more. Right. You know, and yet I was struggling with this. And I was like, and I said to myself, if this were a scene and you had to safe word, you would do it. Mm -hmm. Consider yourself safe wording on a shitty salary. You deserve more. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm safe wording on a crappy salary. And so, you know, and then I just, and it it made my life so much better. And like, I want people to hear that. I want nine kinky folks to hear that. In a way that's like that bite size is easy for people to grab. Right. And then they can just take it away and think about it. I'm like, yeah. see, that's all you need. You just need the push in the direction. Right. Think about yourself as the most valuable piece of property you own. Right. Now, how do you treat yourself? Yeah. And that's bottom line, isn't it? Because people don't, everyone, am I worthy? Am I good enough? Am I enough? You know, all of that. Whereas the stuff I teach and the stuff you teach and, and, um, I'm going to say this in a better way, that good, good, good sex and kinky stuff is, it requires life skills. Like yes. you said, you yeah. know, love yourself, love your demons, you know, mm-hmm. communicate well, advocate for yourself, have some boundaries and consent and be able to speak them and hear other people's. Yeah. Be and presently I think in your body. <laughs> it's hard though, man. We're not taught that shit. No. And this is what you're looking for. Is that I'm just like, I'm like, look, we are all dealing with some form of damage. Yeah. To some extent, no one goes through their childhood unscathed. Are you kidding me? No. Right. If your parents were perfect, you're still going to have to deal with other kids who were not. Yeah. Right. Like someone got to you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people want to say, well, you know, people who are involved in kink or SM are damaged people and this is their way to compensate. And I'm like, okay, let's say it is. Let's say it is. So, right. <laughs> let's right. say that my being submissive is dealing with my abandonment issues and my need to please and my martyr complex. Okay. So I found a relationship where I am obligated to make sure that I mind my boundaries. Let's say my submission and my desire to be owned by someone is a sick little twisted thing because I have low self-esteem. Okay, so now I have an awesome relationship because of my coping mechanism. I think that's pretty fucking good. It's like when people criticize acupuncture, for example. Oh, well, you know, that's just a placebo effect. 
I'm sorry. Do you even know what the placebo effect means? It means that your body did a thing without drugs. Right. It means your body did it anyway. It doesn't mean it didn't work. It means your body did it. And so if I placeboed myself out of my sciatica (laughs) because some bitch spent an hour throwing little tiny needles all over the place, congratulations, bitch. I will now pay you to throw needles at my sciatica every time I have an attack. Right. Like, and this is so much of what's beautiful is that we as complex, crazy beings can use all sorts of of band-aids and plugs and crutches and props to help ourselves heal, you know? And for me, being involved in kink has helped me to heal so much in terms of my self-esteem and my safety in relationships. I love it. And if that's a result of damage, and if that's just underscoring damage, then this is the most beautiful damage I could ever have hoped for. Right. Because alcoholism might have been a thing for that. And that wasn't taking you somewhere good. No, it was not. Your, the stuff that you said before, it's got you into a great relationship mm-hmm. and making friends with your, your demon has, what's the word I want? Produce, born something, all these creative projects. Yes. If you know, like, yeah. so. If I had just stuffed and put away and said, I'm not going to deal with this crazy hallucination I had when I was detoxing, I would not have, you know, the international standing as a performance artist that I do. Yeah. That fear would have held that back. Yeah. And it it probably would have turned into some other kind of, you know, health issue disease because that stuff Mm -hmm. eats away at you. Sure does. Yeah. It sure does. My God. I know we've been talking forever. And there's a million places I want to go. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how long your podcast is because like, you're going to have to chop it up. Right. <laughs> I was like, you're going to have to whittle it down. No, <laughs> or just that- say, this is an extra long, expansive, luscious, super episode. Exactly. <laughs> Get yourself not a cuppa, but like a meal. And sit down for this thing. I have two beverages I'm working on here, so. Right, exactly. The two beverage show. <laughs> um, I think. I mean, I, I'm gonna let's do one more topic because I, yeah. there's like 40 more I could discuss, and you choose. Like we said at some point, we might say something about gay. We're gonna talk about your relationship, or that you might want to talk about your podcast, or like what what's what would you like to leave people with? Where would you like to go? Oh gosh, I'm fine with anything. I don't. What, uh, uh, this is your, this is your podcast for your people. What are your, what do your people need to hear? Oh, I love them. Well, I think everything we've talked about in, in, in that it, um, has planted some seeds of, of ways of being, of ways of expressing yourself, of ways of living and given permission to be who you really are. I mean, ultimately that is at the core of the work that I do is permission to be who you are. If you, yes, yes. Just if you are sexual in any kind of way, that's okay. There might be ways that you need to explore to do it safely, but right. it's not that or wrong, right? And so I think we've already given them all those things that that I look to give them in a podcast. Yeah, you know, it's so it's interesting because I this is a further integration, which is amazing. But I, um, in part of my sort of dealings with the hyena energy. I had an experience when uh, it was when you and I first met, actually at. Uh, Barbara Corellis's Urban Tantra workshop when we were doing this breath and energy orgasm thing. And I'm laying there like, uh, <laughs> I don't even, okay, fine. Just do the breathing. Just do the thing, do the thing. 
And as I was breathing and doing a thing and, and, you know, being advised to go to my root chakra, the first chakra at the base and the color is red and everything else. Blah, blah. And what happened at that time was when I started to sort of focus my mind on thinking about that part of my body and seeing like, okay, this is the first chakra. It's the root. It connects to the earth, blah, blah, blah. I had this wave of just rage come out and it was this hyena energy, like, get the fuck out of here. This is my space. Go home. Wow. And I was like, okay, that is weird. And I started like shaking. I was sort of freaking out. And I came off my back and was curled up into a ball, like sort of just laying on this yoga mat going, okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And my decision at that point was, I said, okay, well, if any of this woo shit is true, this must just be the place in my body where that energy lives. And I'm just going to leave it alone. And I actually hilariously was talking and, and my podcast a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine telling her this. And she was like, so you decided to let your demon live in your root chakra. That's a bad idea. And I was like, girl, I didn't decide that's where it was. <laughs> I wasn't like, please take up residence here. Show yourself around, see how you like it. <laughs> you know, fast forward to again, you know, I'm sure not coincidentally in years later, another iteration of this workshop where I was doing a, uh, a demo for an erotic massage and did the same thing where you're going into the root chakra and same energy came back. But at this point it was very different. Mm -hmm. It was very wounded and sad and angry mm -hmm. and came back to me with, why am I down here? Why don't I get to do anything? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I thought that's what you wanted. Like evil spot. I mean, evil, um, Oh, his name went out of my head. The one that you said he split into two. Oh, Evil Kirk. Evil yes. Kirk. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Like I was like, Evil Kirk has like your own quarters. That's your thing. And in this very brief conversation, what I got was that she was felt trapped mm. and did not feel that she had been fully integrated. And I was like, I don't, I, uh, who, okay. Um, and then I had this thought, I said, okay, well, I have done uh, kink scenes where being very feral and very, you know, in touch with that sort of animalistic side of yourself is a thing. And I have done, I did once or twice scenes where I tried to let that sort of hyena-esque energy come out. And it was very hot, but it was also very scary. And that's a very dominant energy and that's not usually where I go. So that was interesting. And so I was discussing this with another uh, woman who was a student in the in the class. And I said, yeah, I feel like she just kind of want to bite somebody. Like, I just feel like there's like a, and she turned to me and she's like, well, if you need someone to bite, I could probably, and I was like, you know, right? there's, you're never going to not find someone to help you out. Right. And so long story short, I wound up, you know, a couple of days afterwards, just did five minutes of biting. Oh, I just, you know, took myself into that headspace and just said, okay, what, what would the hyena do? Her name is Bubbles, just mm -hmm. FYI. She right. didn't introduce herself as such. I didn't pick her name. Right. Not consciously. <laughs> and so I just, you know, but what was amazing about it, Rebecca, is that like, it was this full head to toe, full body hug with like both of us with our arms, like completely around each other. And then I just like yanked her head back and was like, <laughs> 
<laughs> and she's like in full swoony mode. And her partner was actually there as well, also taking the course. And she's standing there like, oh, wow. The, she was like, the energy was unbelievable. I've got chills all over just hearing it. <laughs> and I was like, that was kind of awesome. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, wow, wow. So not only did I get back the idea of she's actually safe to be out and sort of roam around energetically, but she has an energy that other people are drawn to. Mm-hmm. And I had another scene that I did. I did wound up being a deeply healing scene for a woman who has lived for many years with chronic pain. And the thought of taking intense sensation was absolutely alien to her. She was like, I cannot, I would not, I don't see how people can do it. But by that point in the week where we were going to be doing some intense sensation, she approached me and was like, and I, she didn't even say anything. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you knew. Come yeah. through. It's happening. <laughs> and we had this amazing, connected, transformational scene where she took in sensations so much more intense than she would ever have thought possible because she and I were in a very nurturing, maternal hyena energy. And that's, this is the thing is that she wants to protect. Right. But she also wants to bite. So that dichotomy was so fascinating to play with. And what I came out of that with was the idea of, I was like, you know what? I think I have some healing that I can do with people in and around their kink and their desires and the shit that they want to do that might be dark and ugly because there's literally nothing that you can say to me that's going to shock me. Right. You know, there's nothing you can say to me that I will judge you on. And so people know that. And so when they're like, you know, I have fantasies about eating people or scat or, you know, self-immolation. I want to be set on fire. I want to pretend I'm a witch and blah, blah. I'm like, yes. Okay. Don't do that for real. Not a good idea. However, what can we do to get you into that emotional mindset? Right. And um, so I sort of, I, I jumped off into the idea of offering my services as a kink doula. Just to oh, say to you know oh what? I am here to help you give birth to this new aspect of yourself or to rebirth. Because how many kinky people have been doing what it is that we do for decades and feel dry and burned out? Right. And I'm like, I let's reconnect to that joy. So that kind of became yet another hat that I put on because I have so many. Yeah. But it just literally makes, I do. I do. I love hats. Oh my God. But it made so much sense. It made so much sense. And so I'm I'm just getting my little baby toes into, into doing that work. Um, and I'm just delighted at the prospect of possibly saying to people, I see who you are and let's see if we can get you to see who you are. Right. You know? And that is the gift. That is it right there. And I think in a way, tell me if I'm wrong, that is the core of what you do. It's just sometimes you do it in spoken performance and sometimes yes. you do it in your podcast or your blogs or your books or your um, millions of things that you do. That is the, the core of it, isn't it? I see you. I mean, it's the core of yeah. my work. I see you. Yes. Let's let you see you. Yes. Exactly. The real true you that's beyond all of what you've been told that you should be, mm-hmm. you know, all the habits and patterns that you picked up to fit in rather than belong. Oh my God. <laughs> a little orgasmic just thinking about it. <laughs> Isn't it though? Mm. It's so good. It's so good. And this is, that's the sort of feeling you get when you have landed and you're, and you, you hit the, uh, uh, what is it? The sweet spot. 
Yes. Like there's so many places on the racket that will work to get the ball back. But like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. Talking You're talking about a racket that you hit. I'm thinking about someone's butt. It was a sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I was learning impact play, that's what I was taught. Like you can hit all around here, but there's yes. a sweet spot. So when I think there sweet is. spot, that's what I think. So I'm see, because you're a better <laughs> pervert than I am. I'm not <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm seeing that. Was now. recently in that. <laughs> 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 draw it to a close there. <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because there's like 400 other places. I don't have time. Yes. So I'm going to do the really difficult thing and go. Thank you so much, Melina, for coming on the podcast. You are more than welcome. It is my pleasure and honor and oh, no. delight. Mine, delight, mine, mine, mine. Delight, we will delight. put. <laughs> we will put all the things in the show notes your website and we'll just all the cool. links to everything yeah awesome <laughs> thank Wonderful. you Mwah! i love you you're amazing Mwah! i love you <laughs> thank you for listening to the sexual alchemy podcast with rebecca lowry if this podcast has aroused your curiosity and you'd like to take things further you can get a copy of my free video training reclaiming your intuitive confident sensual self The link is in the show notes below wherever you are listening.